You know, the interesting thing about this morning, it's just kind of a juxtaposition of the worst and the best, isn't it? It's, uh, it's like the best news ever, right on the heels of the worst thing that ever happened on the planet. I mean, we are all looking great. I mean, most of us, I didn't mean to look right at you when I said most of us, sorry about that. We kind of locked eyes right on the most of us, and it made him think that he didn't look good. I'm not saying you do, but I'm not saying you don't either. <laughs> but you've heard that before, right? So uh, anyway, I love you. Um, and you look fantastic, by the way. <clears throat> but you know, we come on Easter. It's always been interesting to me. And we, it's a beautiful morning. And everybody kind of has a little extra gear. And everybody wants to kind of, you know, get some pastels on and feel the spirit. Uh, everybody's already eaten a half of a chocolate bunny's head, you know, this morning, so there's that going on, and um, it's a beautiful morning, but it's a beautiful morning right on the heels of what was a horrible Friday, and right in there together in a very short span of time, like a whiplash happened emotionally and spiritually in the world. And you see that among the followers of Jesus. You say, today's not a day that we just sort of invented in America. Easter would be a nice day, and Hallmark needs another holiday, and we need something else to celebrate. So let's sort of dream up a, a nice sunny morning that we can all sort of have hope about life after death. But we're standing today on the shoulders of history. And the songs that we're singing today are built up on the eyewitnesses of people who actually followed Jesus. Easter is so crazy that the story of it could not have endured had it not been for verifiable eyewitness first-hand testimony that was passed down from a mom to a daughter and from that daughter to her son and from that son to his son, people literally saw Jesus die. And when he died, not only did darkness cover the earth, but everyone who followed him in hope lost all hope. People couldn't piece it together. People couldn't follow when he said, in three days, I'll rise again. I'll tear this church down or the temple down and build a new one in three days. People couldn't put it all together. They just knew that Rome went wild. The powers that be went crazy. Jerusalem went into, into this frantic mode. And before anybody could even think twice, the Son of God was crucified on a Roman cross. That's what they saw. And when he died, their dreams and their hopes for this new movement of hope died with him. And at the end of the day and at the end of the night, there was no party, there was no Easter, there was no celebration. There were just people who were disillusioned and who were afraid, who were hiding out, wondering if they were going to be next. And it was just quiet. People just looking at each other with that look like, for real? This is the way this is going to go down. This guy walked on water. This guy said to the storm, be still. How did he do that? And yet at the end of the day, he gave his life. And now he's dead. 
and there was just nothing. You know, at least after Friday night when we came to embrace the cross, we all knew something's coming. So you can stand in that moment and you can watch the horror of what happened, but you, you see the sun coming up on the other side. You, you see the good and the bad. You see the greatest day and the worst day all put together in the same conversation. But in that moment when Christ died, there was no sun coming up over the horizon. There were no Easter baskets to be bought and assembled. There was no jelly beans on the counter. It was just nothing except the tears that flowed until morning came. John 20, I love the way that the text unfolds. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that's a great phrase for us this morning, while it was still dark, you see, it hadn't dawned on them yet. Christ is alive already. This story, by the way, when it opens early on the first day, uh, Christ is already risen. He's already heard the voice of his father calling him up out of the tomb. He's already conquered death and hell in the grave, but they don't know it yet, and it's still dark, and I think that's an important part of the story. And it says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, here's the cool thing. When she saw that stone moved, she didn't think, oh my goodness, God moved the stone, an angel moved the stone, and Christ is risen. That's not what she thought. Her worst fears came true. We didn't get a chance to prepare the body because they had to rush it into the tomb before sundown on Friday. And so here we're coming this morning after the Sabbath is over, our first shot to do justice and to prepare rightly the body of Jesus Christ. And so she's coming thinking, that's what we're about to do. Now the stone is gone, and she's thinking, yeah, I heard rumors that maybe they would, someone would steal the body, or maybe they would try to hide it away and concoct a hoax of some kind, or who knows what happened. And so she's coming. She sees the stone rolled, rolled away, and she's still not so excited. But so look, verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, I always love to throw that in for free, the other disciple is the one writing this book. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you love it when you just get your own little footnotes in there? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but it did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. Just a footnote today, the angel didn't move the stone from in front of the tomb of Christ to let Christ out. The angel moved the stone to let you and me in to see that he isn't there. Jesus didn't need anybody letting him out. He wasn't standing in the tomb going, hey, any angels out there? If there's an angel out there, can you move this stone so I can get out? I'm alive. I've just conquered hell and death and sin and the grave. I've been down in the depths of the earth, but now I've been raised up by the power of God, but I'd love to get out of this tomb if there's an angel out there that can move that stone. The angel didn't move the stone to let Jesus out. The angel moved the stone to let you in to see cloths lying there in an empty place where Christ had been. 
We know later in the story when all of his followers were huddled together, doors bolted shut, windows battened down, and Jesus showed up. He didn't knock. He just walked right into the room, right through the wall. The risen Christ doesn't come through doors. And I love that this morning because, you know, we always think about people and like, man, that door's shut. That gate's closed. That opportunity's finished. That, that's never going to happen. That's not possible anymore. Or we think about people. Man, that guy is so hard. His heart is so closed. His mind is so shut. I don't know how anybody could get in. That guy's closed everything off. And I'm like, look, don't worry about how closed the door is or how tight the gate is or how shuttered down the situation is. Christ doesn't need open doors. He walks through walls. And there's no situation today that he can't walk right into instantaneously. And when he came back from the dead, he didn't need a stone moved to get out of the tomb. He just came out of the tomb. And he probably said to the angel on the way out so the angel wouldn't feel bad about his job, hey, move that stone if you will because a couple of guys are running up in a minute and they're going to want to go in there. <laughs> Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, verse 6, and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, the one who got there first, but who was a little timid about barging right in, who had reached the tomb first, he throws that in again, also went inside. He saw and he believed. Something clicked for him in that moment. That's why the stone is moved today so that you and me can step into this story by the power of God and so that we can see what has transpired. God will help us see that just like he did this other disciple. And when we see what has transpired, we too can believe. And so now something has switched. Belief has happened. This other disciple, he's had a little bit of a revelation. And so it says in verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes. Another gospel says they bolted out of there as fast as they could. I mean, they just huffing and puffing getting there. But as soon as John saw and believed, he said, man, we've got to go tell the others that this deal is on, that this story is happening, that Christ really did what he said he was going to do. I think up until that moment, they, they couldn't piece it together. But when they saw the way the cloths were there, now, that's an important thing. It's a little detail, and I can't tell you exactly how they were there, but they go into detail here and in other places, and I don't know how they were there, but there was something about how they were there that said to them, oh, my goodness, he's out of here. It wasn't as if the whole body was gone and all the cloths were gone. That would be a different story. Wow, he's not in here, and there's no cloth in here. It wasn't like someone had, you know, messed the whole thing up. I think the one thing was nicely folded over there. Usually when you come and ransack a tomb and steal a body, you don't fold stuff up and then lay it down neatly on the side. You're thinking, man, let's get out of here. Let's get this, this, this guy out of here, and, and that's not easy work, and let's drag this corpse, and let's get this thing moving. And so you don't normally say, well, now let's take the head cloth, and let's fold that back up nice and neat, and let's put that over there. So we don't know exactly what John saw, but whatever he saw tripped a lot of switches in his mind, and all the words of Jesus started coming back to him, and he was like, wow, I get it. I believe he's alive, and off they went to tell 
their friends. But the story continues. It says, then the disciples went back to their homes, verse 10, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She hadn't seen it yet. She hadn't gotten it yet. And the sorrow was still heavy in her heart. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white. Now, they weren't there earlier. Maybe they were there earlier, and the guys just didn't mention that they were earlier. But when she looked in, two angels had showed up, and they were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, I, you know, we read these stories. I've been going to church most of my life, in fact, my whole life, and I've been going to Easter for a long time now, and we read these stories. But I'm telling you, can you just put yourself in her shoes? This is a woman who wept on the feet of Jesus and washed them with perfume with her own hair. This was a woman who had no chance. This is a woman whose society would have said to her, your mistakes are too big, you're out of the picture. But Jesus said to her, no, I love you and I forgive you and you're in the story. This woman had never thought that she was going to be in the stream of God's grace until Christ came along. And now he's dead. All she wants to do is do right by his body. She sees these other two guys bolt in and bolt out. I mean, you know, it's kind of weird. She's crying. She's grieving. When you're grieving, you're not really keeping score of all the details. I don't know if you've ever grieved before, but when you're grieving, things happen. You don't remember. Did you come? Were you there? Did you see it? Were you, what time was it? Guys rush in. They come in. They go out. She's grieving, but she's like, I wonder what happened in there. So she comes over, and she looks in, and there's two angels sitting in there on the, on the slab where they laid Jesus, one up at the top and one down at the bottom, and they're just sitting there. I don't know how they're sitting there. I've always wanted to know how they're sitting there. I don't know how angels sit. Were they sitting there like at attention, like? <laughs> or were they sitting there kind of kicked back like we just rolled a stone, but we still feel good, you know? Were they, were they kind of doing that contemplative thing like, I know you're going to get this sooner or later. <laughs> keep, keep working on it. I mean, how, what in the world? You're in the middle of your tears, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of a broken heart, a death of the one that you love so much, and you walk in and you look in, and there's these two angels sitting there. I mean, it's awesome to me. It's so cool. And they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And I want to ask that question today to you and me. Why are you crying? I mean, is anybody crying, A? And if so... Why? Because there are really only two reasons why people cry on planet Earth. I mean, there, there are probably six or eight, but two big ones. And one reason we cry is because of sin. You know, today we can't just talk about resurrection. We can't just talk about celebration. We can't just talk about a grave that's empty so that everybody can kind of feel good as they leave today and go, man, I, that, that gives me just a little boost of hope. The reason Christ was in the tomb in the first place was because of sin. 
That's how he got into the tomb. I know how he got out of the tomb. He got out of the tomb by the power of God. But the way he got into the tomb was by the sins of men. That's how he got in there. Because sin always leads to a tomb. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. Another place in James 1 it says, hey, when you're, when you're tempted, this is what happens. Here, here's how he describes it, the writer James. He says, we're enticed and drawn away by our lusts. Everyone gets that here today. Something comes along and it just looks too good to be true or too powerful to resist or too, 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 uh, too much to turn away from. And at some point we're like, no, no, uh, well, maybe, well, okay, well, just once. Well, yeah, okay. And all of a sudden we're there. Everybody in this building understands what I just said. Right on? It comes along it's got this little gloss on it. It might have a little twinkling bell or a little shimmering light or a little or, or who knows. It might, it might have a little you know, plastic skirt flying off the back as it goes through the water like one of those fishing lures. Who knows what it looks like? But it comes along and it says, look over here, come over here, taste over here, involve over here, connect over here because this is what you want. But something in our heart says, not that, not that, not that. But then it's like, well, maybe that, okay, that, I'll try that, one time that, and then we're there. And that's what James is saying. He said, lust comes forth and it entices us. We're drawn into it. That's what sin does. But listen to this. It says, but when it is finished, when sin is finished, it has a baby. James 1 says, it conceives something. So lust isn't just a bad idea or a bad habit or something you can't break or something that clogs up your life or gets in the way of your job or maybe busts up your family. Sin's not something that just causes you maybe to lose out on some opportunities or to flunk out of school or to have to go to rehab. Sin's not something that just costs you money so all of a sudden you see some income drifting away because of different kinds of choices that you made. Lust isn't just a bad habit. Lust is a process of sin, and that sin ultimately conceives something inside of us. And as we, as we think and, and look and are drawn in and are tempted, that lust eventually, if we don't turn away, it conceives something inside of us called sin, which is breaking down the heart of God and the will of God in our lives. It's choosing something other than the glory of God in our lives. And once we do that, it says, and sin, when it is conceived, it has a baby and the baby is called death every man is enticed James says when he's drawn away by his own lusts and lust when it's finished brings forth sin and sin at the end of the day James says brings forth death it always does sin is what's leading all of us to the grave, because in the very first chapters of Scripture, Adam and Eve were drawn away. They were tempted by something that looked too good to be true, and it was. They bought into a lie that said there's something better than God, and when they did, they died. They were separated from God, and their lives became terminal, and we, being born in the same line as them, are without hope 
separated from God and our lives are terminal and the one thing we all have in common today is they're going to put all of us in the ground or in a box or in a jar. Every one of us in this building is going in the ground or in a box or in a jar. Unless we're the most blessed generation of all and Christ comes while we're alive, every one of us is going in the ground or in a box or in a jar. And you don't know how you're going to get there. I mean, you think you do, and I think I do. You're thinking, I know, I'm thinking 89 feels right to me. I will have had a family and 19 grandchildren, and I'll be so tired of driving that ski boat at the lake by then, it won't matter anyway. I will have lost a fair number of my teeth, but I'm going to be sharp in my mind. I know that, and I know I'm going to look good. You know, some people, when they get 89, they just don't look great. I know I am. Look at me now. I know I'm going to still look good, and I may not be able to drive it 290 or even 210 or even 190. Crying out loud, I can't hit it over 150 right now, but I'm going to be able to putt, and I think that's what I'll do probably all the way to 89. One night, I'm going to have a big meal I'm going to knock it out of the park. I'm going to go to church's fried chicken, and I'm going to get 100 pieces of chicken and eat them all and lay down that night, and that night I'm going to go to heaven. You got it planned out. Some version of that. Might not have the chicken in it, but you got some thought in your mind. You may have thought, do I want to be buried in the ground? Do I want to be cremated? Maybe you gone through that a lot of you are younger and you're like what are you talking about I've never thought about any of that stuff of course you haven't because you're 19 and no one that's 19 dies no 20 year olds die no 15 year olds ever die so why should you think about it it's kind of like last year we came to Good Friday and like Friday night passed this place was just packed and Matt Redmond came out and he was leading this song you alone can rescue. Actually, I don't know if that was the song he was leading. That's the one that just popped in my mind. He, he might have been leading You Never Let Go. But I was standing over here, and as he was leading, something just triggered in my heart. And it's just one of those weird deals that happens to you in leadership sometimes. And I felt it was the Spirit of God saying to me, I want you to walk out there, and I want you to encourage people who are staring in the face of death, real death, the loss of a loved one, Maybe their own death, maybe cancer's coming, maybe, maybe they're terminally ill, maybe they've just buried someone that they loved. And I didn't really have a specific person in mind. I just felt that tug in my heart. And so out I come, right in the middle of the song, I'm not supposed to come out right then, and I just sort of walk out, Matt gets it, and I say, you know what, we're singing this song, we're making this confession, and I want to just pray over anybody facing death. And I want to invite you, even in the middle of that darkness, just to lift your hands up to God in praise. And people did. I mean, it was dark, and I couldn't see everything, but I could see hands a little bit here and there. And I prayed over those people, and Matt went right on leading. And the night went on. It was a great night, an amazing night. But it was on the Sunday morning that we got word in an email that I shared it on this same stage last Easter morning. It was a story of a girl named Melissa. And you'll remember this, whose husband... On the week leading up to Easter last year, in an accident, had fallen off the front of Stone Mountain to his death. Young, 
newly married couple. He's studying for school and often would study on the top of Stone Mountain and somehow coming down on this night, no one knows exactly what happened, but they found him the next day at the foot of the face of the mountain and he had died. And I, I didn't know him personally, I knew some people who did. And when we came into Good Friday, I wasn't thinking about his wife, Melissa, but someone had invited her to come to Good Friday. And at the very last minute, she agreed to come. She said to me later, I sat on the end of an aisle so that if things got too intense for me that night, I could just jet out and, and, and be gone. In other words, she was saying that I, I, the last place I kind of wanted to be was in a celebration or in worship around a bunch of people who were clapping and whatever. And I didn't know what was going to happen and how it was going to land. And so I, I sat right on the end of the aisle so that I didn't have to get, you know, past 30 people to get out if I just needed to get out of the place in a hurry. And she said, and I was struggling all the way through the night. And then Matt Redmond was leading. And at some point, you walked out. She's telling me this through a friend in an email. After Friday night, before Sunday morning, you walked out in the middle of that song. And you said, I just have a sense that God wants to speak to somebody who's facing death. She wrote to catch up with us <clears throat> this week to let us know how she's doing a year later. She says, I never told you the full backstory to my Good Friday last year prior to attending the concert. I just really could not put words around it at the time. That Good Friday morning, I picked up the ashes of my husband from the funeral home. It was a surreal moment to hold in a small box all that was left of the love of my life. It was a moment when I really just wanted to cry out to the heavens, really, God? Looking back, I can only give credit to Jesus for giving me the strength to put one foot in front of the other to walk into Verizon that evening he was truly the one allowing me to stand and even sing. And he is the one who has enabled me to endure the unbearable pain and heartache and the loss of this year. I can honestly say I'm more in love with Jesus than ever before. I don't think she ever dreamed that at that point in life, she'd be holding all that remained of the love of her life in a little box. But that's the end. That's what sin does. And I want to celebrate Easter today. But there is no Easter for you and there's no Easter for me unless we realize what put Christ in the tomb was our sin. How he got dead was because of our disobedience. When we followed after lust, when we thought there was a better way, when we thought we could find our own path, it really did conceive in us 
sin and it really did have a baby and the baby really is called death and a lot of us have experienced it on a human level but all of us have experienced it on a spiritual level some of you if I could just be honest have experienced death in a relationship and it was simply because of sin that's the only reason it wasn't irreconcilable differences it wasn't you know because one person's personality it was somebody chose willfully decided to walk on a path that wasn't God's plan and sin got in the equation and death came and the whole thing died. And you can go on down the list. Some of you had a career ahead of you, but that career died. It died the day that sin got a hold of you, when temptation got a hold of you, when the lust was too strong, and it wasn't just once or twice or occasionally. It became something that overwhelmed you, and it shut down a dream or a hope or a path or an opportunity or a career, and that career's gone. It died. And all of us in little levels are feeling that. We're feeling what Mary Magdalene felt. And when somebody says, why are you crying? We answer back and say, because my heart is broken, because our family is broken, because uh, my, my, my dream is broken, because the, where I thought I would be in life is broken, because the circumstance is broken. That's why I'm crying. And yeah, we all put our best on this morning and we all got in the house together and we're all looking good, but in our hearts there's a lot of grieving and a lot of loss and a lot of death and a lot of crying. And some people are here today and it's real death. I just buried someone I love. I just walked away from the grave. I've just been to the cemetery and it's real and that's still there. And all that's kind of in the moment as she says, as he says, why are you crying? And she's feeling all that. And she says, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Now, we're coming to the end of this this morning, but I just wanted, I want you to hear this today. That's where we are right now. That's what this moment is about today. That's, that's why I'm so excited about being in Verizon this morning, that we're talking about a risen Jesus, and he's here, and he's here in the midst of everybody, but everybody here doesn't know that he's here, and everybody that is here doesn't know that he's Jesus, and everybody's here doesn't see it and believe yet. Everybody doesn't get it, but we're praying by the power of God's Spirit that eyes will be open today, that it's not a story today, it's not history today, it's not one more time around the Easter block today, but that eyes would be opened by the power of God today. She's standing right there looking at Jesus, and she didn't recognize him. You know why? Because he was risen from the dead. Something had happened to him. When you're ascended up to the Father, and you're right back in glory, something changes about you, and she didn't get it right away, and she didn't know who he was. And so now he spoke up in verse 15, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, this story's got so many weird twists. Now she thinks the gardener has showed up. There's two angels in there, by the way, Mr. Gardener, if you want to check with them before you do any work around here. A couple guys just ran in and ran out. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll get him. And then Jesus said to her, and this is the whole point. He said to her, Mary. 
And she turned toward him and cried out in her language, Rabbani. That's what she would have called Jesus. I know that's a weird word. Maybe some of you never heard that one before. But that's Aramaic. And that means teacher. And that's what she would have commonly called Jesus when he walked in the door. Rabbani. Mary. When he, when he spoke her name, when she heard her name come out of his mouth, now it clicked. When she heard her name the way that he said her name, because come on, you know that he said her name in a way like no one had ever said her name. This woman had a history that was terrible and bleak, but she'd been brought into, into hope and life through Christ. And when he said her name, she knew the way he said her name. And she didn't get the, woman, why are you crying? And she's sobbing and she's all that. Where, where did you take him? If you'll tell me where he is. And then he says, you know how you do that sometimes with people? They're going on and on. They're throwing a fit and they're in a tantrum and, and you're just trying to get a hold of them. And you finally go, Louie! You're just trying to jar him momentarily. So finally she's sobbing and she's in grief. She's not, this is not a normal conversation. She's, oh, no, where, where, where are you telling me? Where are you taking him? I'm going to get him. I don't know. Mary! <laughs> Rabbi! And in that moment, the scripture says she ran and grabbed on to Jesus. What a moment. What a moment. Instantly, her tears were turned to her greatest joy. She went from heaving and grieving to, whoa! And then she just lunged for him and grabbed onto the Son of God. You know that scripture, Psalm 30? It says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may last for a season, but joy is coming in the morning. Weeping may last over our mistakes, but I'm telling you, joy is coming in the morning. Weeping may last because of a loss of a relationship or an opportunity or something else because of our choices, but come on, joy comes in the morning. Weeping may last at a cemetery, but joy is coming in the morning. There may be grief for a season, but joy is coming in the morning. The Ecclesiastes writer said, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance, and Friday when Christ was crucified, that was the time to mourn. Saturday, when all was quiet in the garden, that was the time to mourn. But once that stone was rolled away and Christ was visible, that was the time to dance. Mourning turned to dancing. Weeping turned to laughing. That's the story of Easter and that's the story of what Jesus has done for us. Death may have led him to the tomb, but life is what brought him out of the tomb and death might lead us to a grave, but his life is going to lead us to triumph over for everything hell can throw our way on this earth and in the life to come. And there is joy right after the tears. There's joy right after the tears. We're living in this world right now. 
And some of the tears and the joy are going to go hand in hand. And I understand that, and you know that. You know, our family's been where a lot of your families have been. Literally, the holding the hands of my mom while she breathed her last breath. First Easter of my life. But she's not in this celebration physically. First time in my whole time on this planet. And there are tears in death. But there's also hope that endures. And that's the message today. And I think the difference comes in the instant that you hear Jesus call your name. That's when it all changes. And no longer is it a crowd on Easter Sunday, but it's a voice that you can't deny. No longer is it, you know, another time around the celebration, but something clicks and the voice comes and you know that he's speaking to you. And that's the power this morning. Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And it's that same Christ this morning who's wanting to give us victory and hope over sin and death. And all it takes is for somebody in the house today to go, you know what, I've messed up. My whole life has been a mess up. It's been a series of mess ups. And the end of it all is gonna be a box or a jar or a grave. And I, I need some confidence about what's gonna happen then, but I also need some confidence about what can happen now. Because the message this morning isn't, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die. Some of you can't wait that long. Some of you cannot wait that long to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection life. You need that power now. This is not about someday, one day, down there. This is about this day, today, right here. Because graves aren't just holes in the ground. Graves are holes in our heart. And tombs aren't just carved out of stone. Tombs can, can be carved out of a soul. And there could be people sitting in church today. A granite tomb. An empty shell. Hard, cold, lifeless, powerless, hopeless. Three people sitting in the house of God today. Their heart is just a grave. It's just death. And there is no dream there. There's no confidence there. There's no power there. I believe because of my faith in Jesus that the grave will not be my final resting place. I hope to see him come in my lifetime, but if I don't put me in the ground, I don't care. 
that will not be the final resting place of me because I will rise when he calls my name and there'll be no more sorrow and no more pain and I will rise on eagle's wings and I will bow down before my king. I have no doubt about that day and his power will be strong enough to raise me up from the grave. His power is strong enough to take those ashes and put them back together again into the Tony that they were before. Imagine that. And I hope you have that confidence today that the grave isn't the end. what I believe more than anything today is that there are people sitting here and what you need more than anything is not confidence that there's life beyond the grave. What you need is that there's power to allow you to be the person that you really want to be. And you've tried and you know that in your own strength it's just not going to happen. If you're still thinking it can in your own ability then God bless you. I say just keep going and keep trying as hard as you can because you're kind of come to the same place I came to and that's the place ultimately of going, I can't do this by myself. And the message today is that Christ is risen. Romans says, if the spirit of him, that's the Holy Spirit, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you, then he also will give life to your mortal bodies. It means simply that if you put your trust in the risen Christ, if you put your hope in the risen Christ, it's not about the day you die. It's about the day that he brings you back to life, which is whatever moment you put your faith in him. And in that moment, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ coming to live inside of us to do what we cannot do, to give us the power of a tomb on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday. That's the gospel, people. The gospel isn't you go to heaven when you die. The gospel is Christ gives you power to live every day you're on this planet. The gospel isn't one day, someday, I'll fly away. The gospel is today the power that brought Jesus out of the tomb is available to me. I can live a different kind of life and a different kind of power with a different kind of hope because of Jesus. Easter is now. Easter is here. Easter is today.